Welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the weekly podcast where we are talking about Wonder Woman uh, five minutes by five minutes. Five minutes. Here we go. Five minutes by five minutes. You, you got you to gotta mess one part up. My name's Nathan. You can find me on all social media at NoClutchNate. And my name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. I'm Johnny. You can find me anywhere at Austin Powers Minute. And I'm Sarah Woloski, and you can find me at Jedi Tink or at Skywalking Pod. All righty. Everybody, everybody else does it perfect. Someone's got to trip <laughs> up. And it's, it's usually good. one of us. Um, uh, thank you for joining us. Today we are talking about minutes number 66 through 70. Uh, this is week 14, if you will. Um, and the minutes, these five minutes, are going to start out, uh, let's see, with Sir Patrick Morgan uh, wishing luck to both uh, Steve Trevor and Diana as they uh, set off on their journey. Movie's getting getting going. Uh, the minutes are going to end with uh, Steve Trevor and the rest of his gang uh, hanging out at a campsite, camping doing doing the doing the camping thing um they, uh this is the camping this is sponsored by Ken- it's not sponsored by anybody <laughs> camping world minute is that what you're gonna no. say oh, no okay. no sponsored by um, s'mores yes there you go that's there it you. see yes. i gotta i'm gonna have to bleep <laughs> the other one out here beep there you go i'll take that out and can't do ad plugs for other brands um but yes yeah, so, you know you said uh this is minute 66 through 70 and i was like oh 66 that's one of the uh one of the many golden numbers from the Star Wars universe, right? 66. Um, and so um, it's convenient. Uh, Sarah, thank you for joining us this week. Um, I don't know how that transition worked out, if it did at all. But um, yeah, thank you for joining us. You, you do Skywalking, that's the Skywalking podcast, but also you do another one called, um, it was a Fangirls Going Rogue, which I like that one a lot because um, kind of like you guys do like your kind of perspective on, like pop culture and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you do a lot of Star Wars, and I wanted to see how, like, t- to get you on the show and kind of get your perspective on, uh, you know, fangirls, uh, their perspective on DC characters, and especially Wonder Woman. Um, so I thought this would be a great opportunity for you to, to join us. And, yeah, how, what's, what's your opinion on Wonder Woman? Okay. Yeah, well, thank you for asking me on. I really appreciate that. As it is, I am going to talk a little bit about how Fangirls Going Rogue has influenced my, like, vision into Wonder Woman. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, uh, as to my relationship with Wonder Woman herself, I'm not really a comic book reader. I never grew up reading comics, and I'm a little too young to have watched the TV series from the 1970s. So, my relationship really started with hearing about the casting for Wonder Woman with Gal Gadot. And, you know, we learned kind of on Skywalking Through Neverland, we we went over Wonder Woman, her comic book origins, because we always like to have someone on and kind of learn about it ourselves, because we think it's very mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, but my love for Wonder Woman really started with the 2017 film. And that, like, for me, uh, we talk a lot on Fangirls Going Rogue about representation in film, both in front of and behind the camera. And I would talk about it with them, but I mean, Trisha Barr, she's the other co-host, one of the co-hosts on there, and she's like really adamant about it. And I never understood how 
why she was so adamant until I saw Wonder Woman in the theater. And I, that moment when Wonder Woman, you know, like reveals her outfit and crosses no man's land, like that for mm-hmm. me was the moment when I realized, oh, like I get it. Like these little girls around me are looking up to her and like, like as a kid, I always looked up to Superman, but like if Wonder Woman was there when I was a kid, I would have been like completely, you know, gaga over her. So, so it really kind of solidified my whole, oh, I understand now why representation in film is so important. Yeah. And we really didn't have Wonder Woman. uh, I'm going to assume you're around the same age as us. um, But like uh, around our time, we really didn't have anyone except uh, Xena and, you know, Princess Leia was, was, you know, has always been a a big icon. Um, Those kind of very strong female characters um i mean if you're into the alien franchise maybe ridley uh is is one of the uh, ripley ripley or uh, ripley ridley is the dragon from Sanders. <laughs> never mind uh ripley <laughs> is one of those characters but um yeah wonder woman didn't you know has just now had her big breakout and now you see it with like you see why kids back then were so adamant about being everything is Batman and Spider-Man and now you see Wonder Woman um and even even guys now are like you know Wonder yeah me included Wonder Woman is my favorite superhero because I do find her to be like when you look at Batman and Superman Wonder Woman to me it just seems like the the better one out of out of all both of them so um it's been a long time coming yeah but um it's it's good that she's here now and I like what you said about the, the director as well, because I think not only is it great that we have Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman out on the scene as well, but Patty Jenkins, who directed the film, um, you really feel like she's the star as well in this movie. And I, I'm glad that she was able to do it like kind of like her way. And so that you kind of feel like it's, it's Patty Jenkins, like, her name is really associated with it because um, that almost wasn't the case with the other comic book film that she was going to do uh, the sequel to Thor where it was really just like she was going to direct it but then she left because she, it didn't really she didn't really have a say in how she was going to make it and with Wonder Woman you can really feel like it was made the way that she would want it to be made so uh, really good stuff but yeah um did you did you like um did you like the movie um i'm trying to think here was there any memorable parts i guess you said no man's land part that's like <laughs> everyone's mem- it's it's hard to not be right like the no the whole no man's land oh yeah bit. um it's very um it's very like emotional a timeless thing mm-hmm. yeah i've been hearing rumors that they wanted to get rid of that scene um and like Patty fought for it to stay in there. I don't know how much truth there is to that because um, I've been doing a lot of research for for this podcast, and it hasn't. It's only something I've heard on the internet, but I haven't really like found any con- concrete e- evidence. But someone was telling me the other day, like, oh, you know, they Warner Brothers almost cut that for like time or something, or like they wanted to cut it down. And I was like, that sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I think I did like hear that really too. Nu- I I don't remember yeah. where or when, but I do believe that was something swirling around in the air. <laughs> yeah, could have really nuked the film um, had that been taken out. But um, uh, how do you feel about the other characters, uh, Steve Trevor and 
because we're gonna we're gonna get into more of the um the other characters the gang <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay uh well so chris pine uh he's like one of my number one crushes <laughs> and <laughs> has been since princess diaries 2 and i believe same oh my god yay same <laughs> I kind of feel a little ownership over him. Like I discovered him and I'm ma- doing like major air quotes there. <laughs> but like I was totally into him before the whole Hollywood, before he became one of those Hollywood Chris's where, mm-hmm. you know, he became Captain Kirk in 2009 Star Trek and everything. Uh, so, so yeah, I was very excited when they cast him. I'm also very excited that he's back for Wonder Woman 1984. I mean, I don't really care how he's back, but yay. <laughs> Uh, so that was one of the best parts of the casting I felt. And, you know, Gal Gadot herself is, you know, she's just perfect. Like, I, I think she's amazing in that role. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts on the other characters? Well, actually, since you're asking me, (laughs) I'll just keep on talking. Um, David Thewlis, who plays Ares, you, you know, to me, He's Professor Lupin in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and he's like benevolent and gentle and the best defense against the dark arts teacher and just so empathetic. So then to see him as, you know, the baddie in Wonder Woman, it just it didn't work for me. I really did not like that casting at all. I think that's a that's I mean, it's a perfect segue. I'm glad you went first. Um, because that's kind of like the first question I was going to bring to the table on today's episode, um, because that's how the minute starts, right? It's, it's David Thewlis's, uh, Sir Patrick Morgan. He's explaining that he's going to help them, um, get to Belgium so that they can hunt down Dr. Maru, stop the poison, all that. Um, when you guys were watching this movie for the first time, did you feel like he was a villain? I no. mean, he's everybody's sweet English grandpa. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Because, like, they they really did a good job hiding it. Even for, like, some of the hardcore DC fans who might have been like, oh, he's in it, he's got to be the bad I guy. Just, I feel like that was, in a way, uh, for plot, like, perfect casting for that because it's, like, a way to pull your the wool over your eyes because you do think of him as, as, like, another person, as, like, that sweet Defense of the Dark mm-hmm. Arts teacher. <laughs> So you take that, the audience's preconceived notion of him and the characters he plays mm-hmm. and just flip the script on everybody, which is kind of cool, but it still hurts me because he's just sweet. <laughs> yeah. I think um, I think with him ha- being uh, the, the Sir Patrick Morgan character and not the Ludendorff, char- the Ludendorff character, I'm pretty sure when I saw this the first time, I was with Diana, like, oh, yeah, General Ludendorff, that's got, I mean, duh, General of an Army, like, uh, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, it, it just kind of, like, fit. I I think the choice was good to have him as uh, deep um, in whatever uh, parliament, whatever that... <laughs> yeah, what is it called? You the, know what I'm saying? You know, like, room? he was, li- li- yeah. like, he's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's uh, part of I, like it, intelligence. It, yeah, it's yeah. one of the. It, I did not expect him to be. Um, it makes sense now after the fact, obviously. But like, I did not expect uh, the God of War to be the one like doing the chess pieces mm. with humanity. You know what I mean? Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Duh. Now that I'm, you know, after the fact. But 
when I first saw this. Yeah, I was totally with Diana. Mm. Um, and I totally forgot about the whole, like, old man disguise deal that they did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you don't... Um, they do it in... They've done it in one comic book run, which we keep talking about, um, where it is just like an old man who's just hanging around and wherever he hangs out at is where is the epicenter for what that God is doing. So it makes sense in hindsight now when you look back and he's in the war room and he's stirring the pot of like all that um, arguing that's happening in the war room. And so... It makes sense in hindsight, yes. But they did a great job in being like, oh, you know, Ludendorff uh, is taking these weird gas drugs and, and becoming like uh, pseudo-demigod-like. Mm. And, um, you know, when, when it comes to comic book movies, you kind of expect some heavy-handed, like... This is the villain. Yeah. Her, you have to hate him. Or like yeah. at some point, David <laughs> Thewlis would have like uh, the camera would stay just a tad too long on him. He would have like yeah. a, some sort of inner <laughs> thought and you'd go, oh, that's not normal. And then yeah. you go, oh, there's something wrong with him. You know, something very foreshadowing. Or like a big ominous theme, like it's an entrance or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's none think, of that. Think back. He seemed like in this, mo- in this, in this five minutes that we're talking about, he's like, he is a nice person, and you don't expect it to to be. But that's the thing. It's like that's another preconceived notion of if it's a villain, they're they're hated, they're horrible, they're mm-hmm. disgusting, they commit atrocities, yeah. like all of that stuff. But that's like a very it's a caricature of like mm-hmm. what evil is as a villain. And evil is not always evil. There's two sides to everyone. So there's still, regardless, I know he's he's even as Aries acting here as yeah. somebody else, but there's always, he's not all evil. Well, this makes me really yeah, think of like the emperor as Senator Palpatine. He's just gathering his power as the senator and like he mm-hmm. gradually takes control of the banks. He gradually takes control of the separatists versus and he like creates a war by by you know appearing to the separatists as Darth Sidious but then like in the Senate he's like against the separatists as himself. So like he created this whole war and that's exactly what Ares is doing here. Is yeah. he's doing that as a two-faced person? So I exactly find that yeah. interesting. And even um, and just like those characters, Ludendorff is it's kind of like the rabbit to like the the dangling carrot. Where you know he Ludendorff was a was a guy who believed in total war. You know the sustainability of it, like how good it is for like one one nation's economy so for for aries to see that and be like okay well that's that's the the guy i gotta exploit and so you get him going and then that's a whole war that that not only strengthens ludendorff's idea of germany but then it and it also makes aries more powerful so kind of like the separatists he's able to exploit what they want for his own gain later down the road so, yeah, absolutely. I think we brought it up before. I think like two weeks ago, we were like, "Oh wow, it's just like it is just like Star Wars when you when you think about 
um, Palpatine as well. Um, but even though Sir Patrick Morgan is like no way, he's just he's just um, he's really just a politician, just a, like a just one of many, which makes him so like not suspectable. Like he's very unsuspecting that he's you know a bad person or anything like that. I guess mm-hmm. what what people might not like about him as Ares is when he's then like in the third act and it's David Thewlis as you know, an armor clad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's like the one part of the movie. Uh, and that's the one part that Zack Snyder took over, apparently. Um, yeah, well, we always knew we were going to get Ares. And it's... Uh, there were some other designs. There were some other ideas. Um, but then it turns into, well, we'll just have the actor and we'll just... Well, they yeah. did less. They did less. And I don't think it was more... Like, normally you think that works out, but mm-hmm. they were like, oh, we'll just put some armor over him. I don't know. I just feel like uh, it was too much. Like, maybe, I know we're going to talk about this later, but we're like, talk yeah. about it later, yeah. you could he could have just been the old guy. He's an old god. Like, it could have just cool been like, that. he is who he is. Or just kept the helmet on. Yeah, that's true. Just the helmet, nothing else. And then the cane. <laughs> and then, but that shows like the wisdom of age of an old god versus diana being like a baby in the goddom mm-hmm. of yeah this realm yeah we'll, we'll come back to that later but yeah i i agree I, I, sometimes you could just keep them as the old man and make them do super powerful stuff and they don't need to turn into a greek warmonger type um but yeah i i think we're all kind of like in agreement of that um but uh, uh let's see here so um, do you guys have any other notes about uh, Sir Patrick Morgan before we move on? Or no, I think we're good. Uh, he's keeping his mustache up, man. <laughs> yeah, mustache, wa- mustache. Watch. Everyone, everyone's got great facial hair in this in this minute, um, especially when we except Chris even, Pine, right? Thank goodness. Yeah, except Chris Pine. <laughs> um, does he ever have facial hair? In I anything? think he's had a beard before. Wait, yes. I'm gonna look this up because I need to know. I don't I think, think I've, I've ever seen, seen him with facial hair. Okay. Yeah, he's had a beard. He's definitely had no. major you know stubble. Oh my gosh! In, yeah, in uh, the musical 2014, Into the Woods, he had like major stubble. Oh my god, he's just as dashing in a beard. <laughs> <laughs> it like brings a tear to your eye. No man should be that beautiful. <laughs> when we get to, um, they call it like. Uh, when we get to the train station in in London, uh, mm-hmm. that's when we see like he's got like this this kind of like turtleneck sweater. I really like. Mm-hmm. I want to be that. I want to be as cozy as that looks. Yeah, the jacket and everything. Mm-hmm. I like his outfit more we're, than I, but I like Diana's. Like, yeah, I'm like that looks that looks mad comfy. Um, I want to talk about the filter, the t- coloring here really the color, fast. The color grading, yeah. Uh. Because we were, okay, so as we were replaying these minutes, uh, gearing up, I, watching this particular set of footage, was like, flashed straight back to, um, they should not grow old. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, the coloring that they uh, remastered the footage yeah. of World War One is this color grading. Yeah. Which is so interesting to me. Because that's like, I immediately just like, my brain went, oh, 
we're somewhere else. We're literally in this war now. Yeah. Like it's that this is the beginning of the shock and horror. And I, yeah, I, it was weird. It was just like my brain clicked on to, oh, we're watching Peter Jackson. Have you guys, have you guys seen that documentary? They shall not grow. No, have not yet. No. Okay. So I guess Um, just explained it to, to listeners and, and all that. It's a Peter Jackson documentary. Yeah. Of World War One footage that he got from um an old archive at a museum. I forgot what museum it yeah, was. Yeah, some some museum came to him to They asked him to make put, a documentary. Yeah. They asked him to put it together and he's a World War One buff. He has got cannons at his house and shit. Like yeah. <laughs> um and old uniforms that he just owns. And so he's like, Yeah, I'll do this. And it was I was pleasantly surprised because I went into it knowing nothing because mm-hmm. you took me. Yeah, we went and- with Mike and Alyssa and we were the only we were the youngest people in the theater and there's probably 10 people in that theater. It was really just the four of us and then old people in front of us. Just, two, just an old couple. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it was eye opening on a war that you don't get a lot of coverage for. Yeah. And so they just take old footage and they make like kind of like a, a story out of it, out of all the old footage. Um, and, you know, it's, it's oh, yeah, remade, it's interpolated, it's, it's brought up to the, like 60 frames. And the museum did an oral history as well. So the people that they were following in the video footage had oral history, like a firsthand account. Mm-hmm. They had um, interviewed the soldiers that were still alive, mm. and they followed specifically like their storylines. Yeah. So basically, you you watch this documentary, and and you know at first you think, oh, it's a documentary, and then all of a sudden it just turns into like you're watching a movie with all the f- old footage that they took back during that exact time. So it's it's a crazy transformation. Um, I'm sure it was extremely expensive but um worth it yeah it's 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 quite a film to watch and and the reason we're bringing that up is because like you watch this you know this train station and and the color grading really matches the kind of quality it's identical yeah of that movie and so i I can see where that that comes from yeah um most people criticize the color grading of this movie because they say it's got like kind of like a too much of a a blue filter to it Mm. um but you kind of have to remember that, like... It's, like, somber. It, but it's a comic book movie. It's I know. It's not, like, a... It's not, um... But to me, it, like, that that feeling... It's going to sound dumb when I say this. It's cloudy. It literally... It, it, li- it is cloudy. It? Yeah. But it that means, to me, that uh, invokes somber... Something serious, like overcast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I get it. It 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 seems more of a um, it, it it seems like a like a Larry Fong type deal. To be honest with you. Yeah. Doesn't it? Man, maybe yeah. that's the style that they were trying to uh, you know, keep stay with. But also, uh, uh, I do think the uh, colorization of World War One definitely played a factor into this. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's it's comic book World War One. It's not supposed mm-hmm. to be like, you know, a super realistic. It's supposed to be mm. just. I would still argue that comic book World War One would still be more tan. 
more tan. Is it more kind sepia? Like, yeah. Sepia Not, tone? Yeah, more more <laughs> more sepia, but like uh, not as sepia. Less when, blue, uh, more tan. Chris is at the Ottoman Empire in the beginning of the movie. It's yeah, that's what. Yeah, exactly. In uh, the Indy Indiana Joneses. Hmm. Yeah, which we'll get to because um, I want to bring that up again. Um, um, Patty Jenkins said that Indiana Jones was like one of the influences yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of this movie so um there's a lot of times when we're dealing with steve trevor or you know just the world war one aspect there's like these indiana jones type uh like aesthetics or tones that like come through um bum, bum, bum. can i do that i probably have to i probably can't do that <laughs> no as long as it's uh within what was it 20 seconds so no longer <laughs> so oh man so uh here we are at this train station um and I think this was filmed over in Essex, but anyways, I think the most important part we all want to have is this comic book reference here, right? Dice cream. <laughs> if you didn't bring it up, I was going to. Yeah. We you got the book in front of you? You got, got the issue? No, it's um Oh boy. It's just it's just as like the new fifty two. It's the revamp where Yeah, but they also put it in uh one of the just movies. War. The the, uh, the animated, animated movie. Film of, yeah. All right, so, so what what is the comic book reference? I'm I don't know this. <laughs> so Steve Trevor is uh, like Wonder Woman. He, Steve Trevor finds Diana. Diana is brought to America. Like the origins have been told over and over again, but she gets to Washington and there's a guy selling ice cream. It's just like a cart, like a hot dog cart. Yeah. Okay. So this exact moment that happens in the movie happens in the comic books um, that came out. Uh, just before this movie came out, so th- 2011, um, and she's like, "Oh, what is this?" And she's like, so astounded, like by how good ice cream is, because she's never had it. And she's like, "I," she like takes her sword out and everything. She's like, "I proclaim ice cream to be like the best food ever," or something. <laughs> like that. In the animated, in the animated thing, it's like super overzealous, and it's she's she's eating it with uh, a little girl. Yeah, and yeah. it's like the little girl's happy to have ice cream, and then Diana's like, "Oh my gosh!" And then the little girl's like, "Oh my gosh!" It's just like the cutest thing. Yeah. So it's um, good to see something lighthearted in the middle of all this i think so, they still keep in the same dialogue of you should be very proud exactly yeah 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 you should be very proud of this ice cream it's like a direct rip from the comic books which is like mm-hmm. something totally unexpected but it's one of those things where it's like i'm so glad that made it in out of all like the wonder woman like easter eggs you could pull from uh, the fact that she's like you should be very proud of yourself and i think she like in the comic book she's like she, she like announces that he's like the best ice cream person or something like that. So, something along those lines where she like makes a statement to everyone that he's done a great job with like the ice cream that he's made. Like she's just so out of place on it. That but you know what? I feel it. Cause I love ice cream too. <laughs> Same. And I'm it's all on so board. <laughs> yeah. I really like some ice cream as well. <laughs> I had a, um, I'm not going to say what it is, but I had a, no, I had an it. ice cream thing. What? It had Reese's. Nate, that's so what? vague. A blizzard. That is so vague. Uh, like uh, not a not not that, but another one. A McFlurry. No, Johnny no, just no, bought no, me no, some no, no. Reese's. The one with Klonic. the drive, th- the drive up with the people on the skates. Sonic. Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. I re- am I? I'm, this isn't a guess who. I was trying to be vague. Nate, Why? Who are you being vague for? <laughs> uh, for uh, Sonic Corporation. 
Yeah. Okay, I don't think they're going to worry about that. No, so I had one of those new Sonic things, and boy howdy, was that a treat. Let me tell you, I've never had one of those things. I don't know what they're called. Blast? Hmm. Sonic Blast? I've never or is, had Or is that a video game? You guys haven't had it? All right, well. No. This is <laughs> it's a good it's a good plug one. though. Maybe I need to go try. I'm alone in here. Is it a is it a milkshake? Is it a no? It's like a McFlurry. Well, what I okay. want to know is was there more ice cream on there than Diana's ice cream cone? Because there was hardly any ice yes. cream on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a bigger like, ice cream. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but do multiple takes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's like oh, we'll just like, give you oh, a little bit. Stop eating the ice cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if one of the first takes they gave her a whole big scoop and it like plopped off or something. Who knows? <laughs> or, that, um, just, that just reminds me of Lilo and Stitch. Uh, I don't know what. Uh, the, the <laughs> now, are we maybe, all in agreement that vanilla is a very good ice cream flavor? Yeah. Or? Mark. Mark. <laughs> I like vanilla. Uh, we have this argument all the time about like the superior basic ice cream flavor. Now, that's an argument, but the question was, isn't vanilla is still a good flavor? It is, but then he brings that's up it. it's the be- it's the best flavor and I'm like, let's not. We're not doing this. It's a good I think it's an I think it doesn't get the recognition it deserves it's when it comes to ice cream. It's vanilla mark. Well, it's everywhere all the time. Yeah, and actually vanilla is the highest selling ice cream flavor. Yeah. It's the base for like so, so many things. So it's not underrated. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of your mind. Lord. We can, hey, I'm a homestyle vanilla kind of guy. I like that, Uh, I don't know what it like is, the more Blue cream Bell. or something. The, f- the more fatty one, that's the one yeah. that I'm, that I'm going more, for. The uh, more off-white color looking one. Yeah. That you got at every kid's birthday party. Yeah, the big tub, half gallon of it. Yeah. Or gallon? It's a pretty big it's a gallon. container. Welcome back to um, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about ice cream all day if you guys want. All right, Sarah, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Go. Oh, I like, hmm. well, it changes though. Mint chocolate chip. I'll have to say that. Okay. Mint chocolate chip. There you go. I'm glad someone likes mint because. Your seems, brother likes mint. Seem, well, yeah, but it seems like lately everyone just doesn't like the, the flavor of mint in general. Um I don't know why. It's very but sad. Yeah, mint chocolate chip is, is very good. And then... Cookies um, and cream. Cookies and cream. That's a very good one. My One of my favorites is coffee. I think mm. coffee ice cream is top tier in the, in the ice cream chain. Um, but Nate, what's, what's, your, what's your go-to ice cream? <sighs> my go-to ice cream is normally like a homestyle vanilla just because like I'll just take that chocolate syrup on top. And then Pee Wee Herman ice cream soup that bad boy later on. Uh, but like, <laughs> if I'm like at like a parlor, a parlor, yeah, or like a ice cream stand or something like that, and it's like you know people doing it, I usually go for a chocolate. Oh, okay. so like a like a true. I'm a creamery. I'm a vanilla at home, chocolate uh, <laughs> on the go, <laughs> chocolate in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> Vanilla in the and, sheets. I got gotcha. you. There's that. I don't, don't want to say that one. There you go. <laughs> no, but we went there. It's fine. Um, yeah, no, it's a. It's just a really. It's a really good ice cream bit that happens in this movie because um, it is going to get pretty heavy, I guess, as as the movie goes on. Um, I mean, literally, the next it, yeah, scene dude, is them it's, it's walking all... across the bridge, and she's realizing that people are dying. That people have. Yeah. Sh- I it's had all pretty a heavy lovely. After this. 
a lovely break, had some ice cream. <laughs> now let's see death. That's terrifying. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I really like that they included it, though. It's like, out of all the things included, it's, it's a good moment. Um, but I guess, yeah, as we get to that, that moment, the, the crazy part about this, so once they get off that train um, and they're in that, what's called like the, what is it called? The Dover docks. Um, this part that they get off that train, it's, it's weird, but I just read about it is that train is completely CGI and there's, they're coming off of the train and like the train is not there. Um, which I didn't think was at first I was thinking, cause in the, in the last scene, that train is real. You can see the doors moving. You can see people hanging out and they're hanging out with people who are on the, um, on the sidelines as well, saying goodbyes and stuff. And you're like, oh, hey, yeah, that's a real train. Um, but in the next scene, as they come off of it, um, the Art of book was describing that that entire train is CGI. And they just had people like stepping off on like some boxes. <laughs> and there's like a, a green tarp just for Acting, the shadow man. effects. I'm telling and you. And I was looking at it going, that's a real train. Like that's, you're telling me that's CGI, but apparently it is. Um, even though the rest of the shot isn't. I mean, of course, the the giant cruise ship thing in the, in the background is um, is CGI as well. But, yeah, I was like, oh, that's so weird that, like, they would have a real train there. And then the next scene, they're like, yeah, we'll just CGI the whole thing. Um, hard to believe. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is, this is where um, he says they're going to meet the chief, which we'll get to later. I love the chief. Yeah, the <laughs> chief is great. Um, but yeah, this, this gets into like, so she's got the ice cream in this scene. Everyone's happy in this scene where they're leaving London. And then it's almost like a, like an incoming outgoing, um, type of parallel scene, you know, like you have them, everyone's happy and they're celebrating to that with each other as, as they about to go off into war and fight you know, fight against Germany and all that. And then when they come back, it's, it, it's, it's, um, what is the term that they use back then? They didn't have a term for uh, PTSD, but uh, shell shock? Shell yeah. shock. Shell shock. Or, uh, I don't know. I think it was shell shock, right? Yeah, yeah I think it was shell shocked. Um, and we definitely see one of those, uh, one of those kids with that. Um, but oh, literally all of those people on the returning side of this look shell shocked. It's crazy, right? Like, I mean, what do you guys think? I'll... Well, I I think I mean Diana. They're walking across a bridge, and you know, a bridge in film. This is really, it's it's symbolizing like this entrance into a new world or a new way of thinking. And on this mm -hmm. bridge, this is when Diana is realizing, like, all her life, all she's wanted to do is go to war. She's been training for that. She even had to fight her mom to, you know, train, to, to start training because her mom didn't want her to train. And so she's had this concept of war in her head, but now she's actually seeing it and experiencing what, what war actually means. This all of a sudden very... Uh, amalgous concept in her head becomes this reality 
in her in her world as she's crossing this bridge. So I, I you know that that's what's happening in Diana's mind, and I think that Patty Jenkins did a great job of showing that transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like just I'm glad you brought that up because she she goes out there already seeing she's she's seen death with the Amazons and she's seen what the what mankind is is now capable of with the technology that they have um she sees amazons dying but she's never seen how people live after if they do live because that's something you don't normally see is someone you know they survive battle and then how do they deal with it after that She's also been more used to, um, for lack of a better explanation, more organized forms of war. So, like, um, the Amazons have their pride and their... Honor. Yeah, it's it's like a code of you fight with, with your honor, and there is some semblance of respect on the battlefield mm-hmm. between themselves and their opponent. So Diana's seen this like really chivalrous way of fighting um, that there's like a a mutual understanding and she's walking into something that there is no respect between the two parties. It's just all out killing spree. And I feel like that's jarring in and of itself knowing that She's been taught more classical fighting. Warrior-esque. Yeah, it's it's like this is modern warfare. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. what will there, be yeah. the be the birth of modern warfare, right? Mm-hmm. So that it she's used to swords and shields and spears and arrows. arrows. Yeah. It it's it's not guns and tanks and chemicals and gases and and just literal how can i kill a man as fast as i can kill a man how many people can i kill this fast as opposed to i'm taking this person's life i am taking this one life i know mm-hmm. i'm taking this one life yeah. we look each other in the eye there's like this weird war understanding you don't even have to see a man to kill them here yeah, yeah, and like that's, I mean, like that's crazy the that's, for her. Yeah, the thing that's foreign is like you know the guy like missing, uh, you know his fingers and his hand and stuff like that. Where it would be like, you know, I I would assume like a sword strike and then whatever honorable, uh, way of ending it would be between the two warriors, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Instead of just like you know leaving someone and then, you know, just horrors of war kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's know. all it's all like that. And and the bridge aspect is definitely like spot on with that one um, cuz you know, we just had the ice cream scene. We had we had optimism. We had them g- getting the okay to go to Belgium and and do what Diana wants to do. Like her her journey is going. She's got the thumbs up. Um and then the bridge uh, as everybody's crossing the bridge, it's 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 a horror story. And it's going to be a horror story for the rest of the movie, essentially. Yeah. And and time really slows down. You know, you could see, like, 
people are hustling and bustling like um, at the train station in London. And then when they get off the train here, they're still mm-hmm. kind of like there's a there's a urgency in their in their movement. When we get to the bridge, it's it they slow it down. Uh, either they're actually using slow motion in, in, in the film or just, you know, there's pause in, in, in the way that they, they look at each other. Um, there's It really slows things down so that you can soak in just how uh, um, damaging they or damaged these people are. And um, I'm glad you said that, Johnny, because like thinking about the weaponry used in World War One. Um, that they would use it and they don't even have to see who they're killing to, to, to use that kind of... That's the beginning of taking out... It's dehumanizing and desensitizing people to war. Yeah. That's literally like, this is the beginning of people, like society being able to remove themselves from war happening mm-hmm. is, is this. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're not on the battlefield or the battlefield didn't come to you, you're able to just like jump yourself out of it psychologically. Yeah. And that's like, it's, I feel like it's crescendoing around now because there's, it's so easy to just like make them numbers. Well, glaze over everything. Yeah. Because now more than ever, um, you especially don't have to see somebody to kill them. There's, there's, robots that can do that drones that can do that like satellites that can do that you it we are stepping for more and more away from the respect of a a a conflict Mm -hmm. and just massively killing people you don't agree with yeah or who are doing harm and sarah i don't know like if you've had similar conversations when talking about star wars but like obviously when when with things like the clone wars uh, a lot of those troops are robotic or if someone were to make the argument that clones aren't on an equal basis with with any other humanoid on in that galaxy um that they are just numbers right and so this is one of those pop culture movies that doesn't really shy away from you know these are humans that are really like they're not just hit and killed they're hit and badly wounded for the rest of their lives or they're mentally fatigued and then they come back home and they're like all right there you go thanks for (laughs) serving so i really like um i don't know uh is there any is there anything that you saw that um i don't know probably you can relate to to Star Wars or I don't know because it's all about war over there in that universe. <laughs> yeah, war and the relationships between people. I mean, the only thing I can think of that relates to that concept of of you know killing things that you don't see is in these final episodes of the Clone Wars season seven. Uh, there's a very poignant moment where Captain Rex is talking to Ahsoka on the bridge. And he's saying that the clones, they have a very, uh, like a, a very mixed feelings towards the war because yes, the war is about to end or they want it to end, but without the war, they wouldn't exist. So their whole existence Mm. is tied to the fact that there is a war. 
and that I mean and they're sentient beings I mean that's a very troubling concept so that's the only thing I can think of I don't really know how it relates to this but that's what popped in my head as you guys were talking yeah absolutely I mean like this like the idea of like okay what do we do if, if if this war wasn't going on and for for some people i we talked about um i can't remember what his name was but uh, lieutenant haig i think was in two weeks ago in, in this movie where he was saying you know that's what soldiers do they go out and they die and that's that's what we need them for it's not that um you know we we have a military to defend ourselves if need be um he was a a British officer who believed that, you know, their sole purpose, you know, they're in the military, we're going to use them for, to, to, to basically go out there and die for us. As long as at, in the end of the day, we, we win by just overwhelming numbers of, of, of men. And so you see these soldiers coming back and they have to come back to a country that, uh, doesn't really expect them to come back you know they're like you, you're sent out here to go die for us and for your country and when you come back they're just like uh well i i guess we got to figure out what to do congratulations on coming back <laughs> mm-hmm. basically we didn't plan on you coming back so yeah. i don't know how what we're gonna do with you now it's still like that now it's it is like that now it was like that um i mean maybe world war Two. they had an idea what to do with people but barely vietnam war especially they were like I don't know. You can, you can still be here, <laughs> and so that's why we have like a lot of homeless now, a lot of veterans that are just not taken care of by our government. But you the see the hard that, truths behind the comic book movies that portray yeah. war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I do think like the the clone one is is still relevant because like what if that war had had not been played by the same person on both sides? What would have clones done had war ended? Like where do they even go? stuff like that it's like it's that concept of you know you guys are sent out but we don't really expect you to return and if you do return what what then Mm -hmm. they don't even they don't even prepare for that kind of scenario um so it is it is very depressing to to go through that um uh i am surprised though that um they not only do they show that but then in the same five minutes we'll, we'll see the german side here um, as they too try to to kind of reconcile like that the idea that this war is lost that we need to stop sending troops out there they're having that conversation you know the, the conversation that you probably would expect it from the British but we see here um, uh, this German commander he doesn't get a name but he is uh, uh, he I guess he's it's, it's kind of like this German council. They're trying to sign a treaty. The armistice, yeah. yeah. The armistice. Yeah, they so want to agree to it. Yeah, which, I mean, that's... I I have so many, like, it's, it's a weird feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So you see them trying to fight for the armistice, and then somebody literally just kills them all, but... Well, not somebody, Ludendorff. But how how easily could that happen in any other instance? It's it's so insane that one person can perpetuate a lasting war. Mm-hmm. Just like one human being. 
I'm trying to think. I was trying to think about it in, in like, because um, I know there is like um, a sort of campiness to this to this scene here. Um, oh, the fact that like she just like chucks the gas it, bomb in there, it kind of, and seemed... the gas mask, and it's like, ooh, you can. It's very stylized. Figure out who you want to save. There's one gas mask. <laughs> it's very stylized. Um, which I I enjoy. I think it adds to the kind of characters. That's that, comic booky. To me, I found it very, and I wanted to say like Looney Tunes ish, and it's a Warner oh, Brothers. Oh, like prop- physical. You're talking about like physical comedy. It it does seem like a bit of physical comedy. The the fact that they the way that they kill the Germans it's like, yeah, like dark physical comedy. Yeah, in a way where they're like, oh, here's this gas mask, and then they laugh about it uh, in frame, which I found it to be kind of very comical but intentional in, in that kind of warner brothers type type comedic fashion um but with with the german soldiers like yeah to see them almost in a sympathetic light where it's like yeah they want to end the war too because they know it's <laughs> world war one started with a bunch of just idiot like the, the reason for the start of this war is is convoluted at best yeah um, and then it's catal- made uh, the catalyst was the assassination of Franz Ferdinand. Um, but to, to see for one man to, to decide, okay, well I'm going to do away with the council. Um, you normally don't see that. And so, um, I think Sarah with you, with, with star Wars, normally everyone seems to be like, uh, I think normally, and we've only seen it with, um, I think in clone wars, but maybe in in Rogue One as well. But sometimes you do get the other side of the of the story where they are a little bit more sympathetic and light, like, right or oh um, yeah. I'm trying to think of an example now. I w- I was trying to think too, and I I know Star Wars Rogue One has kind of like a it's a very gray type movie on on how they want to go about the war, um, and then. Um, I think in the beginning of Clone Wars as well, right? Some of the separatists are. Um, <laughs> it's like, honestly, think. when I watch Star Wars, it's more about the character relationships for me. It's not about the war or the ships or stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah. But I do, I mean, one of the things I thought of during this scene, I, I happen to watch this, and, and you're, you're mentioning that it's campy. Or it's like, you know, kind of comic booky, And I think that was a choice that was made to not make these bad guys too scary for kids. Mm-hmm. Because I watched this film, uh, one of the times that I watched it in the theater with one of my girlfriends. And her daughter was 11 at the time. And she actually had to leave during this scene. She, Dr. Poison creeped her out. She couldn't handle it. Like, so... <sighs> So in this case, the tonal camp- campiness didn't work. To her, it was too real. And she did not, like, she just, she had to leave. So, and I felt so bad because <laughs> I was like, let's <laughs> see this woman empowerment film. And then <laughs> she had to go. So I think maybe they were thinking of the younger set when, when this scene, because it is, I mean, quite horrific, you know, yeah. that, you know, you shut up people in a room and, and you gas them to death. I mean, that like if that gets in your head as a kid, you could have nightmares about that. So I think they showed them laughing. I don't know, just to try to kind of tone like, down uh, what was happening. Rocky and Bullwinkle, Natasha and mm. Natasha and Boris. Boris, Boris and Natasha. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. And it, yeah, it it is kind of scary when you when you think about um and and they show it too in in the you know, the scene bef- the last scene that they had with Dr. Poison where they where she finalizes the the gas that she wants to use that's hydrogen based. You can see that they detail that the gas mask that they use is completely like just um like dissolving and shattering. Yeah. And then they throw the gas mask in here and you go, wait a minute, <laughs> that didn't work in the scene before. And then they point it out in here and they're like, the gas mask doesn't work. <laughs> they don't know that. And so you're like, oh, then by that transitive property, this really sucks for them. Yeah, <laughs> But it's also like they don't really show it. I agree with you, Sarah. They don't really show them dying. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just an implied mm-hmm. so again that say you brought your 10 year old little sister mm-hmm. to see the movie she's not gonna like scream and cry yeah and be horrified it's still scary but it's dampened right yeah but we all learn a yeah. little lesson from this scene and that is mm-hmm. if you happen to be in a room and someone goes it is over for you then just run yep yeah (laughs) in any instance wherever just find your exit (laughs) just haul butt get out of there uh one of these guys um fun fact one of these guys at the table uh played one of the nazi dudes from indiana jones wow (laughs) you're tying Um, it in yeah there you go i'm trying to figure out which one it was i think he's uh at the table closest to the mustache man talking um to his left he's not in a uniform he's like in a uh like a like a black suit or something is that the one played by wolf collar yeah 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 right is that him yeah i was trying to find so like my first thing about this the mustache dude talking i thought that was the guy from inglorious bastards that's talking to hitler and he's like no one's calling him a golem that thing yeah when he's like in the in the in the in the scene the first scene with hitler that kind of thing. i thought that was him so i was trying to cross reference can't do it i was uh we earlier you mentioned indiana jones and um that's when i was like you know when you think of the movie and like the references or like whatever influences indiana jones had on this movie uh, this scene feels like that. It feels like kind of in that vein of of like a Spielberg's type of, um, I mean, obviously they're not Nazis, but it's World War One. it's Germany and German soldiers. And so I was, I kept getting like, oh, you know, this has like that vibe, you know, it has that kind of Indiana Jones vibe. Um, and then um it's been a while since i've seen inglorious bastards i think i've only seen it the one time when it came out um and i haven't seen it since um, uh bummer What's, uh, yeah, maybe we should rewatch it maybe i should rewatch it but nate do, uh, yeah i get we didn't really get you an opportunity but what did you think about this uh this scene here um it's definitely scary um i can say that uh when i was a kid around uh a time where I would have nightmares about things from movies. Uh, give you context. Jaws, Deep Blue Sea, Signs. That one freaked me out. 
Um, but someone throwing a uh, gas grenade into a closed-off door and then locking it and then, like, laughing afterwards, uh, especially knowing what that thing does. First of all, the, the, the gas mask isn't going to help, right? What, didn't we see it break the gas mask? That was the whole point. Yeah, about the new gas that so like it's just it's all futile. Anyway, I got that whole um, uh, Joker in uh, the Dark Knight kind of deal with that, like him breaking off the uh, the pool cue, throwing it on on the oh, floor. Oh yeah, the tryouts parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of deal. That's what I got. But that's it's it's crazy. It's all crazy. They're they're crazy people. It's almost like uh, DC has a. It almost is like they have a reputation to have like their villains actually do something very villainous. Where you're like, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Like you go, okay, that's that's a little much, and that's that's usually where they get the PG thirteen rating, and you're like, oh yeah, because the villains are actually very yeah. bad people. So you either have Joker doing something very bad, um, and Batman Pulling begins. You, hospital. Yeah, in Batman begins. You had Scarecrow. Doing all kinds of crazy hallucinogenic like type um, of terror on people, and like Rachel Dawes and um, Falcone, um, and then you look at uh, you look at General Zod with the with the terraforming and the destruction of Metropolis, and you go, okay, that's very alarming. That's because mm-hmm. you could actually see in detail the destruction that was happening to the to the citizens of metropolis and you go wow that's that's a bit much um and then you go yeah well that's that's uh villains for you mm-hmm. um, yeah i feel it's like they take it from a, a turning point of all bark if- and no bite to oh wait never mind <laughs> yeah you remember in um dawn of justice they in theatrical release they cut out the scene of uh them like of, of superman bringing the the person out of the capitol building and all like the body bags and stuff on the ground with mm. all the protesters and stuff they cut that out of the theatrical release right well, i mean yeah he tries to there's the paramedics are trying to help anyone that they can and i think he does try to help uh and they're like you should not this yeah. is kind of it's kind of awkward and he's like, oh, man, I'm just trying to help. And then he, he leaves. But um, in the theatrical cut, they don't even show that. He just, it just, the explosion happens, and then he's... Uh, he's again, too real for a kid's Yeah, movie. he's nowhere to be well, found. But that, that too, okay, I'm glad you brought that up, because the explosion itself in the in the Capitol hearing... Yeah, that's... Well, that is... Terror. Yeah, <laughs> that is an actual bombing, so... Um, and that's like... Any in yeah, modern time yeah, terror, yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's a little too real. Yeah, um, I'm, I think that's, I think that's all of them. Am I? Are we missing one? Is there? They're Up all pretty now. much. Yeah. Um, uh, Bane know, blows up a uh, uh, f- football field football with people field. playing football on it. Yeah, he blows up the. He blew up the box office and. Um, you know, just a lot of explosions yeah, and like a lot of them. Re- uh, the villain doing something and removing themselves from the situation. Mm-hmm. Villainous man, it's villainous. Um, so, uh, with all these uh, people, what do you think this was the? Um, this was like the only copy of the armistice or whatever. Like these were the, these were the guys that were working on. It. He's <laughs> like, copy. yeah, that's it. Like, and that uh, and that's in his mind. That's supposed to end it, right? Well, yeah. think about it. You gotta. It's like a. 
This is the the historic part where they do sign it, but they don't. It's the people in that room that are the heads of of the army. Mm -hmm. Now, is it just the Germans or is it everyone? Like the English there too? No, that's what I was trying to figure out. I think it's just the Germans because I think here there's like a credit for the Kaiser who's here. Okay. I'm assuming it's the other older gentleman in the black suit with the balding head. Hmm. That narrows it down. Yeah. Um, and the mustache? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, all all beautiful. Um, so like that's again, this was another uh thing that like tipped my thoughts to like, yeah, this guy's definitely Ares. If he's the god of war, he just wants perpetual war, right? So mm-hmm. stop yeah. the armistice. Like he doesn't um, need them to do it. Yeah. It would be cool to see what uh influence I wonder if Ares did even have an influence uh on him to to even say, hey, you need to go stop this. Or this if is he, really uh, Yeah, or if he came to that naturally because that's what Ares does. It's sick and twisted that I'm I- Aries, in my mind, that he would go to Ludendorff's like psyche and be like, "That was a good ad lib." <laughs> there, like yeah. that wasn't me. That was all you. That, but yeah. that helped. But it looks like it's not all just Germans. There's people not in German uniforms in the shot. So maybe it's all of their allies. Yeah, at the table mm, too. But, which I never thought about. But it's like, isn't doesn't Alfred serve during World War One? Um, yeah, you're basing it off of the 40s, yes. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a little too far oh. removed at this point. If Batman is supposed to be perpetually in oh, frozen in that yes. like 1920s to 1930s era, then yes, uh, Alfred Pennyworth fought in World War One. In World War One, yeah. You're absolutely right. I'm over here like assuming that he's going to live 100 years. <laughs> And be able to and be able to be the age. If that he anybody, is. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they changed anything. Um, more so now to put Batman in like a modern time, mm. and specified which war Alfred was in, or if they just said, <laughs> "Yeah, he fought in the war." They just said, "Yeah, he fought in Desert Storm." Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think here. Uh, yeah. So now, we- hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm pretty sure there was a thing about Bruce Wayne in Desert Storm in the New 52, I think. Oh, when he went on his weird, like, spec ops sabbatical. Was that what that was? Or was no, that, or am I, I thinking of, like, a zero-year tie-in? I think, I think I'm I think it was that. a zero-year tie-in, because I don't think it was Desert Storm. But I, I, I know what you're talking about when okay. he's on his motorcycle and he's got actual pants on and a sh- jacket but he's got his like batman suit kind of on underneath it possibly i could have sworn yeah. he was in in it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah alfred pennyworth world war one that uh, was like a fever dream section of that that run honestly that was yeah they um at the time of those comics they were doing a story in between having done two um one story and then getting ready for to end that comic series they're like oh we'll just do a bunch of side stories um, but, uh, uh, going back to, going back to this one, um, with, with the German soldiers in the, in the armistice real quick, just, uh, this is the, you know, the spring offensive failed, um, in, in the timeline here, um, Ludendorff lost the spring offensive to, uh, Butcher Haig from 
two or 10 minutes ago, the guy who was there talking about like, you know, soldiers, that's what they do. They go and die. So he defeats Ludendorff, which is called the spring offensive. So what they're doing here with the German soldiers are like, Hey, we lost big time time to sign this armistice. And we have to agree to these terms that like, it's something like German Germany, like forfeits, like all their ports or something like basically British is going to like come occupy a part of Germany now because they lost and that's part of the armistice. And then later on, I think two years later, that's when they sign um, the treaty of Versailles. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this universe in this DC continuity in the timeline, Ludendorff says, no, I'm not going to sign your armistice. I'm going to kill my people of Germany, my council, and then I will continue to fight the world war uh uh like so we don't even know like we don't i mean i guess by the end of the movie we know that they sign it or the the treaty or the, the armistice or whatever but um in this moment he actually defies that part of history uh where he's supposed to sign the uh the armistice here um because i guess dr poison exists <laughs> so that's that's basically why this happens here um but, you have to have a little historical continuity up to a point. Yeah. If you're doing a He a, said no and then one woman shows up. <laughs> well, it's like it would be silly if you didn't have like some sort of timeline structure that would line up with actual World War events. Mhm. Yeah. Cuz I guess we, I don't know if they've even confirmed it, but like we don't know of World War 2. Um you know how how it played out differently in this one um but um yeah that's that's pretty much it for for this scene um and then that's when we get to chief uh is it was it blackfoot uh, Napi? i'd have to look it up but th- uh, we've already met samir and we've met um uh charlie we met charlie and samir i just love the diversity of this group yeah but this is where we meet probably my favorite character out of uh what they call the this group's name is called the wonder men huh. when you th- when where'd you wonder see that that's the cutest name i've ever heard <laughs> in my life where'd you get that um, one from the internet and then when <laughs> I, it says the wonder men it they had a link and then it is it the wonder one wonder men huh? tm or is it just like <laughs> it's, this is just something uh, it, it'll take you fans. to the it'll take you to the dc extended website is that what it is? <laughs> yeah it takes well the dc extended website and then it then it um it says he's part of the wonder men and then the wonder men is a hyperlink and then the hyperlink takes you to the what is that called the dis the disam disambiguous disambiguous dis, yeah. uh, you know the word i'm trying to say when yeah. it comes to wikipedia articles um disambiguous I can't even say it, but it takes you to that page where it says, here's all the, all the members of the wonder men. And that's what they're called apparently, which I did not know. Yeah. I didn't uh, know that either. That's very cool. <laughs> um, so this is, uh, this is where we meet chief and Eugene brave rock. What is there to say? I love this man. I think this is so cool that he's the a character in this, in this movie. Um, but, um, he's, uh, they don't. This is like one of the only things they don't translate in the movie. Um, it's the dialogue between him and and Diana, where he speaks uh, his native uh, his native language, and he ends it by saying Napi, which um, Napi is his real name. 
Hmm. Yeah, I think he was introducing himself. Right. Oh, oh you're talking about the character Nafi. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, Eugene is his real life name. No, but yeah, in that's his, the actor's in, name. Yeah, okay. in the universe name is Nappy. No, what I was going to say was Nappy is uh, as a demigod in, in Native American culture. Yeah, he's also listed as a demigod. Huh? Did you not know is, that? So, okay. Well, that's what my question was going to be. <laughs> is this... Because they don't translate it. So I'm over here going... Wait a she minute. obviously knows every yeah. language on the planet and dead languages. Yeah. yeah. So the way she she answers him and I'm Diana, it's like he that he was introducing himself. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I mean, I, if I could guess, it was probably you know like nice to meet you kind of thing, like just like a greeting, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like I'm I'm Noppy, uh, and you. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm Diana. Great, nice yeah. to meet yeah. you. Yeah, it's context um, clues. It's like when three PO is talking to R two, and you yeah. can deduce what R two is saying from what three PO says. Yeah, my that, my question was going to be: I guess that he is a demigod by by what by what the trivia is on on the name. More so, I was like, oh wait a minute. So are they saying? Is it like? Are they alluding to him being? Um, because they say Nappy is a is a demigod trickster, and if Chief is kind of like this kind of smuggler guy, he can get in and get out of situations. Um, and also, he's a Native American. Uh, he's a Blackfoot roaming around this part of of Europe. Like, what kind of person? Uh, how does he get here? And how does he? How is he in company with with Steve Trevor? So I was like, huh. I wonder if people were like. If that's just like something that they connected on their own, or like, are they actually like laying down some kind of hint that he might be of more importance? So I don't know. I I regardless of whether he is or he's not, I I'm like, hey, just the fact that there's a Native American character in this movie, I'm I think that's cool. So, do you think but, he's um, you think he's on the same level as Diana? Like, you do you think he's a a demigod um or a, a wonder if that's what they're calling them these days what was that from um that's, that's don't worry don't answer that question but do you think uh he is uh you know i mean i no i probably no in in reality in you know if i were to go to patty jenkins and ask her like hey so this this noppy guy is he's something more to him she'd probably say no um but I'd, I'd like I'd like him to be something more. If he showed up again, you know, if he showed up in like 1984 or some other future installment of Wonder Woman, it was like, yeah, I'm a demigod this whole time. I'd be like, I'd be like applauding or something. I'd be like, that's awesome because he's mm-hmm. um, out of all the characters, he's definitely one of the more charismatic by just being himself i can't remember how he reacts to her finding out that she's a demigod i guess we're gonna have to reassess that when we get there because you remember they don't really know her here they don't really know a lot about her story here and eventually it starts coming out because like steve won't let her say anything obviously he stopped her when she was like oh i plucked him from the sea (laughs) and he's like let's not talk about that that's embarrassing um also nobody's supposed to know who you are we're undercover. Um, and I can't remember if, at this point, if the chief was at, in the least surprised by it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would change my... 
answer Mm -hmm. on whether he would be qualified as a demigod because you know how uh, at this point when you i don't even people wouldn't believe that a god is walking among them right yeah Mm -hmm. so but if if he was just like oh yeah then i'd be like oh that's sus like you you know a little bit more than you should right um yeah, I I don't know. I would I would love for him to be qualified as a demigod mm-hmm. because he's a creator. He is um, literally like he is a creator god. So he he created man. Mm-hmm. So this, it would uh, put him on a level of a titan. I know on the DC extended universe. Yeah, was that what we yeah. were talking about? So yeah. like, that, but there's no more information. No, he's a Blackfoot demigod known as scroll, old man and the culture hero of the Blackfoot. Yeah, if you scroll all the way down, it'll give you his like uh, powers, which are pretty basic. It's not like it's a it's it's his it's like heightened intellect, into like the, in the film. Yeah, Based it, off yeah. What you see in the movie, yeah. you can go like, oh, you know, for a oh. human being, you shouldn't be able to. Like, but in in Native American mythology, he uh, he's a creator, so he 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 created man. In like the oh, super yeah. Native American like. Yeah, I see what it says here. This is well, on like a, in, this. I think yeah. this is on a Gizmodo article that I'm pulling this off of. Culture hero of the Blackfoot tribe, he was the first man made by the Creator and helped shape the world and its people, along with his wife. Oh boy, Kippy Taki. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but um, it. Now, is oh boy the first name? Old he and then he he said that uh, on Twitter in 2017. Yeah, he said uh, Blackfoot culture hero and demigod. Yeah, uh, old he man that. is okay. the uh, that that's what Eugene said on Twitter in two, uh, June 24th, 2017. Well, because like well, um, he says it. this 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 mythological god is not just recognized by one tribe. Um, it's translated to three other tribes. Um, he has a different name, but it's still all that same creator god. Yeah. Um, because Native American creation myths are wild. There's yeah. like one spider woman that does it. Yeah. That she's actually a spider lady, and the the webs that she creates are the the different tribes of Native American that yeah. exist. It's it's just crazy. This but, is cool. Um, this says uh this says that his introduction was a bona fide part of the script. Um, that the whole like him taking his glove off to shake Diana's hand was necessary and all these things. Hmm. I didn't know this. This is news to me. This is very cool. I'm finding all this out to be uh, very interesting. It is. I, it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll send you an, uh, an email with a pat on the back. Um, but yeah, it, it is a very like a special moment when two gods meet each other it's wild right yeah and especially like <laughs> one that was been in hiding for hundreds of if not thousands of years like and well you got to think about it this way so has chief because uh, he's a smu- i feel like he's, he's a, been walking around he's hiding in plain sight he's a smuggler yeah he could, he could be but like he's night. still out in man's world this thing was this thing diana was <laughs> hidden from him like, can you imagine? And and what Diana is, like, she is apex demigod. So, like, this dude being like, yeah, man, I helped, like, shape this whole earth and, like, this entire planet. Whoa, hang on. <laughs> What's this? This is crazy powerful. Check it out. You know, that's just real. That's jaw-dropping. Jaw-jaw. Jaw-dropping. 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 Jaw-dropping.
Jaw. Jab, 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 but you, jab, you also jab, have to think it, uh, what it, uh, in most in most iterations of gods, I even think it, it extends to uh, the Neil Gaiman universe, American mm. gods. Mm-hmm. You're only as powerful as the people who believe in you. Yeah. Right? Like fairies. So, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. So anything mythological, right? You're yeah. o- They're only as powerful as the people who pray or believe in them. So you have to think about this. Diana came from a place that vehemently believed in the Greek pantheon. Very, very strong mythological roots, right? Now you come out and Napi exists. There's probably tons of people who don't believe in him anymore, right? So he's lost. He's fallen from the powerful stance that he had way back when because there's not enough people. Do they even like touch upon like Diana like realizing polytheism or anything like that? That's I feel like she wild. has to know. Oh, is that a big question? Yeah, I feel she's like she smart. Has... Yeah, well, and 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 uh, the Amazons are in in my mind they wouldn't gloss over different religions. Obviously, she'd has to he she'd have to know. Yeah, I world think it's, religion. Well, yeah, yeah. It's That's a, a big brain question. It's a question that is that, a very big. Sorry. And so <laughs> a, a lot of this, walk a lot right of into this that one, Nate. gets uh, <laughs> dropped in on us in this movie. And so looking forward into into Wonder Woman 1984. I want Chief. Uh, bring him back. It, well, just that even if it's not specifically Chief, but like just the idea that she is a demigod. There are other gods out there. She hasn't even met or discovered the truth about her father or anything like that. Uh, like her birth or anything um and then we have the whole question about like how does steve enter the picture you know there there are a lot of questions dark magic necromancy i don't know (laughs) there's a lot of questions left unanswered about the whole mythological uh scape about about wonder woman so looking forward to that film it's like i know it's supposed to be kind of like this fun adventure of, of wonder woman in the 80s which I'm all on board with, but I'm wondering if they're going to add more to that. They don't have to. I'd be cool with it if they didn't, but I wonder if they will expand more on kind of like the mythological origins of, of Wonder Woman and the world around them, you know? Um, because like we said um, in the movie Suicide Squad, Enchantress and Incubus are uh, Mayan or Incan gods in the same world. So there is other deities. Mm-hmm. There's not just Greek gods. We have Native American gods. We have Incan gods. Um, and so there's there's a lot to consider there. Um, and then you have you have Atlantis, right? You have Aquaman. That's a whole other the whole yeah. other ocean of of deities, I guess you. Well, could you say. have aliens. You have gods. You have mer people. <laughs> <laughs> mer people. Uh. The whole seven Who knows? Kingdoms. We might have fairies next. Ghosts. There's ghosts. Ghosts. There is yeah, ghosts. Jonathan Kent. Dead Man. Jonathan oh, Kent. Jonathan yeah, Kent. Dead, dead Man Jonathan Kent. It wasn't Diablo like possessed by the, like a fire the devil. fire god. Yeah, fire god. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's so much to consider. Um, I feel like that was overlooked a lot too, but yeah. Well, besides the point, we won't get into because people are so honing in on 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 you know. 
if they're going to represent the single characters correctly in their opinion, but it's like, hey man, look at the entire picture. Look at the, look at the brush strokes. Mm-hmm. Did you even see this guy? He's also a demigod. That kind of thing. You're never going to please everyone. Yeah, yeah. you're never going to please everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> big sigh. <laughs> Sarah, did you uh do you have any notes? I'm sorry. We they we went on a, a mythological tangent there, but that's uh, No, I just learned from you guys about this scene by this discovery. So I I did not have any notes for this scene. I thought it was too short to really dive into. Yeah. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. next next week we'll get into more um uh, I guess today we got into the mythological part about it, but in the in, in next next episode we're going to be talking more about the. Um, uh, it's going to get a little bit more more political, um, with with the chief. But um, if anyone doesn't have anyone uh, anything else to add, um, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Right, even sure. it open. Yeah, cool. sure. All right. Oh, uh, Nate? yeah. <laughs> Nate coming in. I was wondering no. when he was going to come in with the geography section. Oh boy! No, you missed that whole thing. So uh, there was a there was some things that you could probably do, uh, like when they were uh, leaving, they didn't get on the big boat; they got on another boat. But when that boat was docking on Belgium, they got back on the Diana. That was wild. That boat's name was Diana, by the way. And there's another boat that was uh, in, like a whatever off of the river, seat whatever that is. Uh, that also had a name, so I'm pretty sure you could probably figure out if those boats were real, where they were uh, normally at, that kind of thing. Um, but we're in Belgium, you, right? It's just Belgium countryside. Yeah, I will tell you that the giant boat Edith that May. they don't that they don't get on yeah. is is a photo replica of boats of that time. But not mm-hmm. specifically a boat that I could tell you right. to help you. But it looks like I mean it, it looks like the it looks like the Carpathia, to be honest with you, man. Uh, that type of thing, right? I don't. Th- I think the Carpathia only had a uh, one stack. Titanic had three. Maybe Carpathia had two. I don't remember. Doesn't matter. I don't know my boats. Welcome to boat you minute. fools! You fools! <laughs> stay away. Uh, well, cool. Well, first of all, Sarah, I want to say thank you uh, for joining us. I, I I'm glad you could join us and, and talk about Wonder Woman. Um, but before we go, can you can you just let everyone know where people can find you and what you got going on? Sure. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on. I always love to talk about this film. It's so much fun. <laughs> and so you can find me. I am on a couple podcasts. I'm on Skywalking Through Neverland, which is a Star Wars Disney podcast I do with my husband, and that's a weekly show. So if you just search Skywalking on any podcatcher, you'll be able to find that. We also have our YouTube channel where we do lots of fun videos, and we work going to Galaxy's Edge quite a bit, but not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so we have some videos from there as well. And then... I am on Fangirls Going Rogue, which is a monthly podcast, and that is a podcast where three of us girls talk Star Wars, mostly. Uh, We bring in other things, too, like we're all Disney Parks fanatics and some Harry, well, two of us are Harry Potter fans, and we just bring in all sorts of fandoms because we're geeks, and it's really fun. So you can search, or you can go to fangirlsgoingrogue.com to search for all that. And then I myself... Am at Jedi Tink, like Jedi Tinkerbell, um, at all the various fun social media. Yeah, cool, awesome. Thank you so much, and yeah, definitely check out uh, Fangirls uh, Going Rogue. And um, I, um, 
I, I would definitely like to listen to the to the Wonder Woman episode you guys did, and uh, I would love to to promote that episode as well. Okay, to put I that will out there. check. I we might have done that on a fangirl chat, which is kind of a a branch off show. So I'll just look that up. I'm sure we've talked about Wonder Woman, but I don't think we did a whole focused episode. But I will. Yeah. I will double check. But it's always, always, always more Wonder Woman content. So yeah, absolutely. But anyways, absolutely, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. And guys, we're gonna wrap it up here for you today here on DC Cinematic Minute. But if you enjoyed everything you heard, you can find us on all social media at DCEU Minute. And if you're in, if you've enjoyed everything you heard and want to support the show, we sell merchandise on T Public, and we also have a Patreon. Uh, where you can join us, Nate and I are talking about the DC DC animated movie universe, um, where we do live commentary on the movies. Um, so you can find us there, and you can enjoy more episodes. Um, and if you want more DC content, we also do Doom Patrol Radio, where we're talking about the, um, I guess it's now an HBO Max show, um, of Doom Patrol Season 2, um, but you can go ahead and listen to Season 1 if you haven't already. Um, and with that said, we'll catch you guys next week here on Wonder Woman Minute.